This is the Election Crimes Bulletin on Flashpoints with Greg Pallast and company today. Uh, we are delighted to be able to report uh, about what's going on in Atlanta, and then we're going to take on some of the other hard issues. Greg, uh, it is good uh, to hear you again, to be with you Um Tell us a little bit about what your associate, uh, Zach Roberts, has been up to. We're going to go with, to a little sound. We're going to see if we can get La- uh, Zach on live with us. Okay. What you're going to be hearing is um, the right-wing uh, Trumpites, uh, a guy named Alex Jones, and uh, two of the rising stars of the ultra-right. Uh, who are going to be, who are in front of the governor's mansion, that is uh, Brian Kemp, who is already ultra-right. This is the guy uh, who, you know, ran for governor and basically swiped it from Stacey Abrams two years ago, um, including, for example, ads in which uh, he says, I got me a pickup truck, there's a quote, I got me a pickup truck to round up illegal aliens myself. Uh, Yep, I just said that. And uh, he says, I'm a politically incorrect conservative. He's ultra-right, backed by Trump. But basically, uh, Trump's minions are saying, we're going to go after you unless you block the certification of Biden's win in Georgia. Uh, Remember, uh, Biden, they had a recount, and the recount numbers show Biden still ahead by over 12,000 votes in Georgia. That's official. My unofficial count puts him way ahead. But let's just go with the official count. But they still have to certify it for Georgia's electors to go to the um, to the Electoral College. If they can flip Georgia, if they can flip uh, Michigan or Pennsylvania and um, Arizona, then, as we've discussed, uh, Trump's gambit is that no one gets 269 votes. It goes to the House of Representatives, where each state gets a vote, and Trump can win with 26 Republican majority congressional delegations. California gets the same vote as South Dakota. This is the the Hail Mary pass. This is their last attempt. But in order to do this, they have to muscle um, this Republican governor, a Trumpite Republican governor, but he's scared of, you know, uh, what happens. He's going to be tarred and feathered if he says, I don't care about the, the, the voters of what the choice of the voters of my state. So he's in a tough bind. Good. All right. Well, listen, let's uh, go to Atlanta. Let's uh, speak with your associate, uh, Zach D. Roberts. But first, he sent us a little bit of sound. And uh, uh, people will remember, we picked up Zach well, uh, while he was in Charlottesville uh, tracking the, the Nazis and the, uh, the, the killers there who almost killed him. But uh, let's listen to a little sound he sent in just uh, before airtime. The fight for what's left of the soul of the Republican Party moves from D.C. to Georgia, with the far right continuing to rally for Donald Trump. The Davos group, they are bragging that they've conquered America and are going to make us poor slaves. For anybody out there watching, for anybody here today who thinks this is a joke, is an idiot, or a traitor. As I rolled by the rally, a Christian white nationalist and anti-immigrant group led by Nick Fuentes, called the Groypers, were chanting, USA, USA. He later threatened that if the GOP, Governor Kemp in particular, didn't push to give Trump another four years, he'd start his own party called America First. Rid of and will replace them with the party called America First! Yeah! America 
30 or so was made up partially by Alex Jones's security and camera crew, which was taking its caravan back to Austin from Washington, D.C.'s MAGA rally. Jones was joined by regular InfoWars guest, right-wing disinformation artist, and Roger Stone confidant, Ali Alexander, who is the national organizer of the Stop the Steal campaign. So we're out here trying to have election integrity and stop the communist Chinese takeover of the country. Alex Jones left the mansion grounds via a large black SUV, guarded by security and followed by his armored truck. The recount ended Thursday night, finding once again that Joe Biden had won the vote in Georgia. Thank you for Alex God. Cover Alex Jones with the blood of Jesus. May Alex and InfoWars greater than ever, God. Yes, uh, and joining us now, if all goes well, is Zach Roberts. Are you there, Zach? Uh, yes, I am. Excellent. Welcome Hello. to Flashpoints. It is good to have you back. You're one of uh, uh, PAL's uh, crew of protection activists. Uh, you've been uh, yourself very busy paying attention. I guess this all sort of started from you uh, in a garage basement uh, where there was a near assassination in Charlottesville, uh, and you've been sort of um, tracking along and seeing what's going on in the uh, the strong among the strong right wing supporters of Donald Trump. Tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. Well, I mean, I, I always say that uh, um, following my, my following of the uh, the far right actually started with uh, my work with Greg Palast and covering uh, voter suppression because I saw people like Chris Kobach. And so many others uh, who basically were white nationalists uh, running around uh, screwing with Americans uh, a vote. And it just was kind of like, a, an, uh, unfortunately, an obvious slide through there. Um, what, I, what I've seen in recent days, I was at the, uh, the Million MAGA March, which saw like ten to 15,000 people. Uh, still an incredible number uh, for a protest. Uh, bringing people from around the country and nearly all of them spouting um, conspiracies that only would be on the fringes of people, you know, uh, talking about election conspiracies that basically normally you'd hear on Alex Jones show, the guy that you heard on the, the radio, uh, the, the broadcast right a moment ago. And, you know, talking about how uh, Venezuelan computer programs and, and things like that were, were screwing with the election and, and everything like that. It, it, it was, it, it's unbelievable to actually find this many people concentrated that believe this sort of stuff in one place. And mixed in with kind of the MAGA crowd, the general, like, you know, diehard Trump supporters, and was the QAnon supporters that is, you know, it's a cultish conspiracy theory that Democrats are doing terrible things to children and among other things. And also you saw Proud Boys, you saw Oath Keepers, and there was the, there's the white nationalist group, uh, the uh, Patriot Front, that uh, had previously last year or earlier this year marched through Washington, D.C., unabated by anybody and actually protected by the D.C. police. And so then... Driving down to Atlanta, I thought I had gotten, I thought I was just going to be covering a, you know, covering the elections again, like I do every two years for, for Greg Palast. 
and unfortunately, it looks like it followed me um, and didn't just follow me, but <laughs> but uh, they they're now uh, they they were camping out in front of uh, the governor's mansion because they're not just uh, ticked off at uh, Democrats who they're always angry at Democrats because they're you know everything under the sun whatever whatever insane theory that you want to think about a person they probably think that about uh, Nancy Pelosi and whatever I mean not that I have. You know, not that I'm a huge fan of hers, but I don't think that she's, you know, doing those sorts of things. Um, but, you know, ended up uh, hearing about a, a rally that was happening in front of the governor's mansion uh, with um, a white nationalist uh, um, uh, that leads the, a group called the Groypers, uh, which is a very young college age, uh, extreme far right, America first, anti-immigrant um, I've been calling it a Christo-fascist group, basically. They they chant things like God is great and Jesus is king, and, and they're definitely based in a kind of Mel Gibson Catholicism, <laughs> to say, for lack of a better kind of explanation. And then there was uh, Ellie Alexander, who is a, um, again, for the lack of a better term, a kind of a guy that kind of grifts his way from, from conspiracy to conspiracy. He's an associate of... Uh, of Roger Stone, uh, which is, I think, kind of all you need to know, um, and uh, and also a regular guest on the Alex Jones show. And then there was, uh, you know, the big guy himself, Alex Jones, uh, who has used to just kind of peddle in conspiracy theories with a with a vague level of anti-Semitism and other things. But now he is full-blown far-right. He only has on his show uh, the kind of the most extreme members of society, including the two guys that was with him, Ali Alexander and, and Nick Fuentes, who are kind of in, now in his world. Uh, and he has helped bringing those people up, kind of a younger generation of, uh, of uh, far-right uh, broadcasters and, and grifters and, and nationalists. That's Zach Roberts. He's with the Greg Palast reporting team. He's talking to us from Atlanta, Georgia. He's been covering for some months now the extreme right. Let me ask you this uh, question. Are you... Uh, Given your experience now uh, through this coverage, were you surprised uh, when there actually was uh, discovered uh, a plot to kidnap and kill the governor of Michigan? Or does that feel like uh, that fits right into the context of what you've been doing? Well, I mean, uh, as I, you can read the piece on gregpalace.com. I wrote a couple, uh, I think a couple weeks ago now. It's been, it's been kind of a, a wild ride for the last couple of days. Um, I was in uh, Richmond, Virginia for that uh, very large Second Amendment rally that was happening um, earlier this year, you know, before, before the, in the before times, before COVID, um, if there was a time before then. Um, that, and, we, and there was over 10,000 people that rallied, all, almost all of them carrying multiple firearms, you know, many of them loaded and that sort of thing. And I was, uh, the night before that, I was in a, uh, in, a, in, a, in a bar, and it was a rally that had, I saw a bunch of, you know, a couple Boogaloo boys and kind of other militia three percenter types. Um, and I was sitting across the table from uh, one, of the, one of the guys just, and we were just having a chat about, you know, what the plans were, what things were going to happen tomorrow. And, you know, we, we asked him, uh, what, so what do you think is going to happen tomorrow? And, and he, you know, looked at us relatively straight-faced and just goes, well, one of two things. Either either nothing happens or we're going to lynch the governor. And we, me and my 
one of my colleagues, um, Carter Adams, we looked at each other and just didn't know because these guys obviously have a dark sense of humor. I mean, journalists have a dark sense of humor as well, but the fact that there was the next day we walk out there and one of the first things we see is, you know, at least one, one or two people with, uh, uh, with rope, um, with, uh, you know, lynching elected officials in, in effigy. And, you know, I mean, Virginia has, you know, it's the South that has a history of what that in particular means. And, and so when this, this came out in Michigan, it just reminded me of that moment. Um, and thinking about the fact that, uh, you know, that guy that I talked to across the, across the table, uh, he had a, um, a thing for his keychain um, that said, Go Army on it. And uh, my colleague actually asked him if he was a member of the armed forces. And yes, yes, he was. He was, he was in the Army. And so, like, when, when we talk about this being kind of like we talk about these people as being isolated, you know, you know, the, the, I think, goodness, we got rid of the phrase, I think, lone wolf for the most part. Um, I haven't heard it, at least on cable news for a while. But this idea that these guys aren't part of our daily life and part of, like, our government um, is something that we really need to get past, especially considering the especially the idea that, like, Oh, once Trump, you know, once Joe Biden becomes president, these guys are going to just fade away into, you know, into whatever. And we should just ignore them. And it's just like, well, we tried that before. You know, I mean, there, there was a rise of the Klan in the 60s and 70s. And then, you know, they kind of went away and we decided in the 80s and 90s to kind of ignore them. And then 2000, the 2000s happened and we elected a black president. And suddenly, shockingly, um, these people started appearing, you know, in 2010, you have the rise of the Oath Keepers, which is a lot of ex-military, ex-police people uh, that like to play, you know, militia and dress up and, and stand. I interviewed one of them in, in Ferguson. They were the guys that were up on the top of the uh, rooftops pointing snipers rifles at protesters um, in Ferguson, including, you know, people including me, you know, and so. This has been, you know, that was, that was 2014. And, you know, I wrote about it then and, you know, people just were like, oh, these goofballs. Um, but, you know, those guys ended up being at, at Charlottesville along with all the other uh, guys that you see now getting Proud Boys getting cheered at by hundreds of Trump supporters in, in, in Washington, D.C., just not even a block from the White House is one of the one of the things that I thought I would never see in my life, um, but I, I, I saw it two weeks ago. You know, one of the things I never saw thought I would see in my life, Zach Roberts, is the fact that the uh, vigilante who gunned down two people on camera uh, walked out of the jail cell free because he is in the, he was uh, being held by folks who are part of the the groups that you've been tracking all over the country. That is Zach Roberts. He works with Greg Palast, gregpalast.com. Greg is with us. Zach, if I could ask you to stand by, let's bring uh, Greg back into the conversation. I'll stand back and uh, stand by. Stand back and stand by, Greg Pallast. Um, this is this is very funny, isn't it? Um, Greg Pallast. You, cry. Well, well, yeah. Why is Zach? Go on, go on. Yes, I was just going to say, don't do this at home. Zach is trained. I mean, he had a, a gun on him when he was filming the um, 
uh, the near murder of the school teacher in Charlottesville. He's been beaten. He's been, you know, but this is his training. Don't, you know, this is really dangerous stuff. Don't try to do this amateur style. If you want to work, I'm, we're always happy for, you know, this is dangerous stuff. Thank you, Zach, for putting yourself in harm's way there. I'm very concerned about the politics. By the way, we were down together at the Trump rally with uh, Kemp in uh, Macon, Georgia, and it wasn't that the that there were some you know, uh, ultra-right and neo-Nazis there. It was a, what I'd say a good third of the crowd were wearing insignia from Oath Keepers, Three Percenters, etc. I mean, it is his core. The other thing I'm very worried about is that we do have an election, and Brian Kemp is somewhat silent. You know, he's Trump's man. He's nervous about the reaction of the public if he overturns their vote. On the other hand, he does realize that if they do form a third party, the Libertarians already took about 3% of the vote, that was devastating to Trump and uh, their uh, Senate candidate. That's why they're in a runoff, uh, Purdue with Ossoff. So I, you know, I don't think he's going to do it, but there's always that chance that the state will say, oh, there's just too much fraud. We're not going to certify Georgia. And this kind of violent and it's intimidation and threats of blowing up the legal system. But remember, these guys, you know, they, they're not above... Um, violence or the threat of violence and menace it's a it's dangerous stuff this is not how the decision to certify or not should be decided in georgia well um talk a little bit uh about the relationship between the violence uh and uh, you know we've been listening to zach's reporting and he's been doing an incredibly uh good job on this and risking his life to do it but sort of make the link how, how does the violence say a little bit more about the way in which the violence plays into the trump project i mean he it does do you really think he has a chance of overturning this election is he counting on uh the a violent element to sort of keep the the fear factor high. That's a, uh, this palace. Um, I think that he's counting on it. Whether it will work, I don't know. This is a big problem. Remember, you've got Republican legislators in Michigan where he he's called them to the White House to pressure them, and they're in a bind because you have most of Michigan, these states voted for Joe Biden. And so you're going to have legislators who are in actually uh, in, in districts that voted majority for Biden outside the big cities who have to basically tell people in the district, I don't care what you voted for, who you voted for, um, your vote doesn't count. Uh, so their political careers are, are in a vice right now. That's what he's counting on. And, and by having, you know, cranking up the kind of fear of violence and mayhem, uh, just adds to that sense. Oh well, they're, they're trying to give the impression that there's such that that there is such a question about the vote that the states have an excuse to not certify. So it adds the chaos, the chaos dimension. It adds the idea that that there's uh, endless complaints. I just think that there, you know, of course now this is my opinion. I, I think that their moment to do this has passed, and the margin, while not overwhelming, was. Uh, still significant enough that they have, they have to convince three to four legislatures yes it's true they're republican legislatures to literally ignore the vote of their constituents that's a heavy lift that's a heavy lift zach i want to ask you uh, 
can you say a little bit more about what do you think the connection is between some of these extreme right-wingers and Trump? Do they really think that he cares about their economic structure? Uh, is Does his policy really matter to them? Or or is it all stance and, and uh, positioning and bluster? How, how do you see the, the, his relationship, their relationship with him? How do they feel connected to this millionaire who really doesn't give a damn about them. So they, they love a strong man. I mean, that's, that's the first, I mean, especially when it comes to the proud boys. Um, and, but like, I, I still remember the first time I met a proud boy, like I didn't know what this is like early days, like when they weren't really known and they had had, they had a t-shirt on that, that they, that they still wear. Uh, they wore at Charlottesville, um, that, uh, that said Pinochet did nothing wrong. And they had hats and, and other T-shirts that said on the back, it would say, free helicopter rides. And so they love to play with this idea, this remembrance of what Pinochet did in Chile and, you know, dropping people out of, dropping his opposition out of helicopters. And, you know, whether or not they, they actually want to do that, whether or not they're taking helicopter lessons and, and you know, it doesn't really matter. It, they love this guy with the bluster and the, you know, the ego and everything that goes along with it. You know, how far that, you know, some of the groups like um, Patriot Front or the Groypers or whatever will take this. Um, it's always hard to tell because, you know, there's still loose some of you know some of them are loosely kind of binded together but i mean like you know a group like the groipers this guy is a real has a real leadership he they look up to him he's a young kid himself and he's got he's he's a really good speech man i mean like he you heard him speaking in the uh in the in the piece earlier and he's able to get these young kids uh devoted and like ready to do anything and i could certainly see that if if Trump really, you know, ramped up the rhetoric or, or just even, you know, Trump is not going to go away. Trump is still going to be on Twitter. Trump is still going to be on all these, on all these websites, who knows what sort of media platform he's going to do. And he's going to keep these people riled up and going. And it's just going to be, you know, I mean, whether or not it's going to be tree of life or whether or not it's going to be Charlottesville or something, you know, I mean, it, it, it almost certainly will be tree of life. There will be another tree of life. Um, there is, I have almost no doubt that something like that will happen. There will be a person who is riled up by Trump's rhetoric, by the, 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 the hatred of immigrants and everything else. Because, I mean, that's why, that's why that guy shot up Tree of Life is because they were organizing and helping uh, immigrants come into this country and, and get assimilated into the country. And that's why he shot up the place. And that's why he was loved Donald Trump so much is that he was – was pushed by that. And so they love this guy that speaks to their, you know, it used to be, you know, dog whistle racism, you know, and now it's, you know, megaphone race, you know, <laughs> there's a dog whistle on the other end of a megaphone. And, and so they love that idea. And I don't think that they'll stop doing it. I mean, and then, you know, I mean, the, the problem is, is that we haven't solved anything. We saw, we saw that millions upon millions of people, more people voted for Donald Trump this time around than last time which is terrifying to me because it, it tells me that there's new people out there that love his, love his bravado and, you know, and his racism and everything else. And that we're, we're not moving towards anything that's going to fix a future. All right. Uh, I want to conclude. I want to bring you back, uh, 
Greg Palace, and I want you to put on your uh, your sophisticated economics uh, reporter hat. Uh, we see that the uh, the Secretary of the Treasury wants to do a little last minute uh, bait and switch. He wants the Federal Reserve. He's sort of ordered the Federal Reserve to uh, shut down the, this program, backing loans to small businesses, local governments. Uh, now, this this program has been a life and death line of support during the pandemic. You want to talk a little bit about you know the politics of this. This is sort of gets us into the economics of what's about to happen. We are looking at a scorched earth policy, a sabotage of the economy um, aimed for Inauguration Day. There's two, two things came out today. Number one, the first one, tank the market. Uh, Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, ordered the Federal Reserve to return money back to Congress, in other words, to Mitch McConnell. Uh, to an end what's called the Main Street program and related programs. This is the Federal Reserve, you know, to, to get us out of the, uh, uh, the 2008 crisis, the Federal Reserve got authority to buy government, uh, to buy corporate bonds. The, the U.S. government now owns trillions of dollars of private bonds and stock. And, uh, that's holding up big business, but when the pandemic came, they said, okay, we gotta expand this to, uh, the Federal Reserve said, we need to expand this to medium and small businesses and also municipal governments. So that they have a backstop. They can't possibly, you know, governments with no sales revenue now can't possibly borrow money. Small businesses are shut down. They can't borrow money. So they gotta do what, what the, the big boys do, go to the Federal Reserve for backup. So they had this amazingly, it was actually quite successful. You have to understand it made Three quarters of a trillion dollars available to you know it's the Main Street program to Main Street businesses and to governments, and now they're literally saying December thirty first that thing is dead. You cannot lend out another penny. You can't guarantee anything. Now understand the Federal Reserve in the end didn't have to lend out or back three quarters of a trillion dollars in loans because just the fact that they were there as guarantors of last resort meant that a lot of businesses and governments could still access the, the uh, municipal bond market and uh, commercial loans. But Jerome Powell, and, and you have to understand, the Federal Reserve is totally apolitical and they're afraid of making any statements regarding policy. So in a complete break uh, with tradition, Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, actually slammed the Treasury for saying, how could you remove this money, this major toolkit that we need to keep the economy alive while we're heading into the third wave of the virus? We've never had a Federal Reserve chairman attack the Treasury Department like that. And, And remember, Jerome Powell was Trump's appointee. He fired Janet Yellen. Uh, basically uh, didn't reappoint her and put his own guy in. And so his own guy is saying, you're trying to kill the economy as you leave. This is no joke. Three-quarter, you know, it's basically an anti, it's not only a failure to get out of stimulus, it's a massive three-quarters of a trillion dollar anti-stimulus. Even Glenn Hubbard, the old uh, right-wing uh, Wall Street Journal op-ed uh, editorialist said, this is just vicious absolute madness. In fact, what it reminds me of, Dennis, i got to tell you, it reminds me that when, when Hitler was in his bunker and the Allies were closing in on Berlin, he ordered Albert Speer and his cronies to basically destroy Berlin, burn 
all blow up all the bridges, destroy the uh, the railroad system, tear down electric uh, the electric system, level the nation. They had disappointed him, and uh, he wanted to punish Germany and destroy it, sabotage it. And they uh, they re- but the difference between Mnuchin and the, and the Nazis is that the Nazis ignored Hitler's order. Mnuchin's literally. This, you have to understand, this is not some small item. And by the way, ironically, this defunds the police. Because if the, you know, if the cities can't access the bond market, um, sorry, cops, you know, you're, not getting your, you're not getting your pay. Um, so it is uh, economic, it's literally economic sabotage. And there is, you know, no one on Wall Street is in favor of this. And by the way, I want to add that there was a second there is a second little uh, bit of news that dropped out, too, that's causing even bankers to set their hair on fire. Three quarter, well, 80% of the mortgage market in America is backed by the government. We have a, basically a socialized housing system in America. That is a mortgage system. You want to buy a house, the government will guarantee it. Half, almost, a little more than half of the $11 trillion mortgage market is backed by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, our government uh, mortgage guarantee agencies. Well, uh, they put a guy in, a right-wing ideologue, uh, Mark Calabria, who is in the last, in the final days here, is trying to privatize our two federal mortgage agencies and get it all done and make it irreversible by time Biden gets in. And now to do that, Okay, so number one, it threatens the, the mortgage market. And I have to tell you, the mortgage bankers are, you know, they're freaking out because they, they want those government guarantees. Who's behind this? Who, you know, who's going who's gonna to cash in? In order for this to happen, the government has to literally write off a quarter trillion dollar loan or downgrade it so effectively is written off downgrade a quarter trillion dollar loan that the government made to these agencies and who benefits well number one will be a guy named john paulson the billionaire who crashed the mortgage mortgage market back in 2008 and i would just like to remind you who his partner was a guy named steve mnuchin we're, we are speaking, I think we're going to have to leave it right there, Greg. We're going to have to pick this up because we're smack against the clock. I want to thank you and your associate, uh, Zach Roberts, for putting his life on the line. Uh, both of you for giving us extraordinary information. And I hope we can uh, pick up this dialogue soon because Mnuchin is not going away. Thanks, guys. Thank you.